Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. This week we are doing Tarzan and his mate. Can I ask what happened to the other seven Geek Channels? <laughs> the, the name was originally inspired by the fact that I was working for a television station that's, that was on Channel 8. That was a chance for mythology. You could have, ah, the, the first one exploded. Uh, the second one disappeared into the multiverse. Well, I also always liked the Damned song, Plan 9, Channel 7, or whatever. And so yep. I, you know, what's between 9 and 7? Geek Got channel. it. I like that answer a lot. That, that, that I'm more pleased with that, actually. Uh, I am Nat from Frontier Musicology and Evil Island. What have you been up to since the last time we talked? Specifically, what media have you been consuming that is not something that okay. was made in the last 10 years? Okay, so I'm going to be real honest, and I've played a lot of Star Citizen in the last week. But, and if you haven't played Star Citizen, play Star Citizen. It's amazing. It's, it's every sci-fi nerd from the 80s dream come true. You float around in a persistent universe. You buy spaceships. You go out on missions. It's wonderful. But it's a game. And that's not what we're here to talk about. I watched the first... Before I realized I had to get Tarzan watched last night, I watched the first 30 minutes of possibly the best science fiction film I have seen in decades. Space Captain, Captain of Space. It's free on Amazon Prime. A friend had recommended it to me months ago, and I had kind of forgotten about it till I saw it pop up on the little, you know, the menu. My is it God. like anime or something? No, no. It is the most loving parody of Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and all of the early sci-fi works. It is the most obviously these guys loved those things so they made a parody it wasn't them making fun of it it was it it was them hassling it in the way we hassle each other right it was that fraternal bonding hassling that's what i got off of it oh no this isn't gonna be another discussion we're gonna have to have like galaxy quest this is not this is not like this would watch this just watch this just go on let's talk about this at some point but my god well, it's interesting you should mention Flash Gordon because today we will uh, talk about Tarzan and his mate. And in between Tarzan of the Apes and the sequel Tarzan and his mate, there was a, uh, another Tarzan film made and it starred Buster Crab, who was uh, Flash Gordon ah. in the original black and white Flash Gordon serials. I recognized the name and I did not know where, where from. And yeah, thank you. I watched Midsommar okay. um, and I actually watched it on Midsummer's Eve. It's a horror film, folk horror film, uh, interesting subgenre. And I wanted to do a, a review of it for our blog, the GC8 podcast blog. And uh, the very next day I went online and are you familiar with comic book girl 19? I'm not. She goes by her real name now, Danica, but she is, uh, like us, a pop culture geek 
and she does podcasts and actually YouTube videos. And she did an epic review of <laughs> the film Midsummer and said everything I was going to say about it. Like <laughs> absolutely everything I was going to say about it. So I'm like, okay, well, there's no point in me doing that too. So I'm just going to give it a thumbs up and recommendation to people to go check out uh, Comic Book Girl 19, Danica Massey's YouTube video on Midsommar. And the other thing I watched recently, the thing that actually fits our definition of, you know, more of a classic is the film Dark Star. I love Dark Star. Yeah, I I had never seen it. I had, I knew that it was um, directed by uh, John Carpenter. It's one of the few John Carpenter films I had never seen. And I knew that it was written by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote Alien. I had no idea it was written by the same, the writer of Alien. I, that's amazing. Well, it has, it's kind of the rough draft for Alien. There's some things, in, although it was a comedy, there's some things in it, like if you remember the, uh, the scene in Aliens where they have the bishop puts his hand over Hicks's hand and they do the knife thing. yeah that's in dark star the thing that it probably influenced the most i think is red dwarf like it seems like red dwarf was immediately like let's make a tv series out of that well and red dwarf has been on for what a bazillion years now was that uh when did red dwarf come out i thought that i would have placed that in like 88 just guessing red dwarf you are correct 1988 Look at the geek chops on this guy, huh? All right, all right. Everybody take a drink. (laughs) (laughs) A Dark Star was 1974, so it was about 10 years earlier. I remember seeing it as a kid. My mom was a film student. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Uh, she She was an English student, I should say. She wanted to be a writer, but she took several film courses. So I, as a six year old, was exposed to a lot of cinema that probably was well beyond by i didn't get the seven samurai when i was eight years old right but i enjoyed the process of seeing the seven samurai when i was eight years old and dark star was among those films that was one of the films i remember she had a class review for so i watched it with her okay well enough about that we have a uh, another person joining us today rosie hi how are you thank you for having me so tell everybody who you are my name is Rosie Briggs. I am also a geek, I guess you could say. I like to enjoy movies from time to time. My mom, I uh, work. I do call center work. And basically, I also play roller derby for the Black and Bluegrass Roller Girls. And your derby name? Is Briggs and Smackham. Briggs and Smackham. Number 11. Look me up on Facebook. Like the page. And if, and if I could point out, full disclosure, we've known Rosie for well over five years. Yes, uh, yeah, at least. At, at least. least five years. <laughs> um, five whole years. Yeah. Could have been uh, six. I don't know. Right. Okay. So this week we are talking about the 1934 film Tarzan and His Mate. Before we get into that, a little background on 1934. The... Still in the Great Depression, but it's easing a little. By 1934, unemployment was down to just 22%. This year was the year that Hitler declared himself Fuhrer of Germany. 
the FBI, actually a big year for the FBI, they nabbed or put an end to the career of John Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd, Babyface Nelson, and the Lin- they caught the Lindbergh kidnapper and murder- Lindbergh baby murderer, uh, Richard Bruno Hopman. Gas was 10 cents a gallon. Bread was 8 cents a loaf. Uh, Japan started arming up. The Oscars were swept by, it happened one night. It swept all the major Academy Awards that year. It was also the first year Donald Duck made an appearance. I'll leave it at that, except to say that the Hayes Code was initiated in this year. That restricted what could be shown, having to do with things like nudity and violence and things like that and the film we're going to talk about today was one of the last movies made before the code okay i was gonna say (laughs) i have some things to say about that so it's it's fondly remembered as being sort of the last film that got away with a lot of stuff okay and you know what like right off the bat the music they intro with was this like super upbeat. It reminded me a lot of the the Looney Tunes stuff that would come decades later. Uh, it was this like super progressive jazz number, which seemed, you know, <laughs> oddly out of place for Africa. Yeah, yeah, that was the first thing I noticed was the ba-da-da-da-da-da jazz. <laughs> it was it was good. Like it, don't get me wrong, like it it felt much more nineteen fifties than nineteen thirty-four. So look, big picture, I still have a lot of problems with this movie. Like they did, they did do a couple things right, and I think I think Eric and I kind of hinted to each other that we're super excited about parts of it, right? Mm-hmm. But like, right off the bat, they have relegated the the entirety of the black cast to scenery right yeah and that that doesn't really change mm-hmm. this film is a step up from the previous one we watched in that the natives are actually played by black people not white um, people blackface more than that mm-hmm. I, I more than that i noticed every like the ones the black people that were brought into frame close enough to notice had stretched ear piercings. I wonder if they actually got actual Africans to play the actual roles for the, like... Well, there was actual African dialect used in it, and and the chants also sounded authentic to me. Um, I don't know much about African culture, but this is, that's one major point in its favor, I think. Mm -hmm. So, okay. My big picture here is that, that this movie is a major improvement over the one before it. Um, yeah. Certainly any other Tarzan film that we've seen up to this point in history. And it's a fun film. I thought it was overall a fun film. You know, I also watched recently the, uh, the Disney Tarzan, which we might talk about later or whatever. And I like this film better than I like the Disney Tarzan film. I, I'm just going to warn you off the bat. I am not going into the Disney Tarzan sober, right? Like, I'll do it. <laughs> no one says you have to do it sober. But it but it's it's gonna be a you know fear and loathing in Las Vegas kind of 
analysis. As long as you remember it. As long as you remember it. <laughs> but speaking of scenery, I liked that the jungle actually looked like the jungle this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times when I'd see something that's like, ah, eh, that tree doesn't look like it belongs in a jungle or something like that. But overall, the jungle looked much more believable as a jungle than the swamp they used in, in, in the 1932 film. Right. I agree. Overall, I, I did like the film a lot more. Um, I really do like how they presented Jane as still an independent woman, even though you know she decided to stay in the jungle and, and be with Tarzan. She was still very much an independent woman even then, and which you know I know was a, a rare thing in the 30s. We didn't have strong independent women. You know, we, we women were were raised to like grow up, get married, have babies, repeat. You know, over and over and over again. For a woman to be independent and say, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to build my life right here with this guy rather than, you know, go back to the life I've known my whole, you know, since I was raised. Um, that that in itself is revolutionary to me. Also, just as far as the scenery goes, I did notice that they used some of the same stock footage of when Tarzan was like swinging through the jungle. I noticed that they used some of the same footage in the 32 film as they did in the 34 film. And it was kind of neat because it's been a long time since I've seen movies that were made in the 30s. So it was kind of neat to see to see from a filmmaking aspect, to see the differences between, you know, how they did things then and how they do things now, and even the differences between the two movies. I did like that they used more live actors rather than walking around looking at the scenery and the tribe is the scenery and, you know, the the uh, the, the animals are the scenery. And, and it was also interesting to see how, uh, you know, they, they thought they could buy a woman's affections with dresses and hats and jewelry and perfumes and all of these things and they thought that that would just change her mind and she would just come back you know and and uh you know as we found out throughout the film she was she was dead set like she was staying with tarzan this was her life and and she knew she could rely on him period the end and she didn't want to go back to her old life she liked the life that she had that she had created for herself with tarzan that's an interesting thing you watched uh, both films, right? The 32 and the 34. Mm-hmm. I watched them in order, yeah. Because one of the things that Nat and I just felt totally out of our depth talking about was she seemed to have two romantic choices in the first film. And one was this guy who was kind of a douche. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, the, the like guy, the the British guy, what was his name? I think it was Harry. And And then there was Tarzan who was also kind of douchey but in a different way like he was (laughs) definitely so it was like we're like which would you choose like i'm not really seeing what the appeal of tarzan is over this other guy yeah it's like harry who wants to treat her like a trophy wife you know and parade her around in beautiful dresses jewelry and perfume and then there's there's tarzan tarzan who wants to treat her like a possession but at the same time i feel like he treated her more like a partner that he trusted even though he was possessive and i didn't like that okay well there i mean it seemed like a primal sexuality to tarzan like that mm-hmm. that's a part that they hinted at in the first one and it's definitely more like they didn't hide it as much in the second one well, yeah, especially when she woke up and she's like, ooh, you were an animal last night, you know? <laughs> I was like, ooh, how provocative for the 30s. 
Um, uh, speaking of provocative, one of the things that was very controversial was just how little clothing she was wearing throughout the whole movie. Oh, I know. Throughout the whole movie, it was considered really, really scandalous how, and, you know, if you I, think of the bathing suits from the time, there were like these big one pieces that, you know. Yeah. Can I touch on that for one sec? Pacing wise, it seemed like every single scene was there to tell a little visual story. Mm-hmm. And half of them were to get Jane to put on fewer clothes. The one <laughs> There was a scene where she was dressed, but they made her catch her dress on a vine or on a tree or something just to rip it off more. That was the most fully dressed she was throughout the whole film, too. They fell very much into a, okay, in this scene we do this, in this scene we do this. It was a bunch mm-hmm. of little vignettes thrown together into a big story, right? And, yeah, I, I felt she, her removing clothing was a very common theme to those little... I think they were just... Remember we've been talking about how they were still learning the language of film? Yes. I feel like modern films still do the same thing. It's just they find they're much more clever about how they do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's... I agree with you. This felt to me like a modern, like a simplistic modern film. Mm-hmm. But that's not fair, right? At the time, this was really kind of cutting-edge filmmaking. They were, mm-hmm. And when we get to my favorite part, I'm going to go all out and defend it. Like, I'm going to defend this as... Would that be the nude swimming scene? That would be the nude swimming scene, which, again, at first was another reason to get Jane into fewer clothes. But then I watched for a couple seconds, and every single frame was gorgeous. It really was beautifully filmed. Even though I do f- kind of feel like they were putting her on display. Yeah. Because oh, Tarzan had clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was so obviously gratuitous. <laughs> but but it was beautiful. Like It, it was. was. Like if somebody brought me a copy of the film, just one, any of the frames from that scene, I would cherish it as a painting, right? I would cherish it as photography. And it was underwater photography, too. Which was new. Yeah, like, which was very modern for that period of time. This cavorting underwater was Johnny Weissmuller, the Olympic swimmer. I thought he was nude for this. I don't know if he was. He was wearing a loincloth. And the woman was not Maureen O'Hara, who plays Jane in the film, but a swimming double, Josephine McKim, who was another Olympic swimmer. By the way, Olympic swimmers start to predominate these movies. In between the last film we watched and the, this film, there was another Tarzan film made by a different studio starring Larry Buster Crabb, who was another Olympic swimmer. And honestly, in the role of Tarzan, I think that's perfect. Y- you don't need a Shakespearean actor. You need someone that looks like Tarzan. Right. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, anything else you guys want to say about that? Except for that people would not see that in film again for years. I think even until the 1960s. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Because I don't really think they started really showing any kind of nudity or whatever until the sexual revolution kind of brought that back out. Like, it's really okay to look at a naked body, you know? Like, it's not offensive, you know? And we're talking and the then, late 1960s at that, so. Oh, oh Yeah. So you're talking 34, 44, 54, 64, so 30 years before they would get back to that. You know, that's amazing. 
Okay. The other thing I want to mention about the Hayes Code is violence. Like, there was a guy upside down with an arrow in his freaking head. Did you see? I saw that. It was really violent. They panned right past it. Like, the film made no note of it. It was the characters who reacted, right? Like, the film's like, da-da-da, here's the jungle. Dead guy hanging in a tree. Do-do-do. Ooh, look, bushes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the 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 people carrying the loads walked past, saw it, and screamed. And, yeah. I found it for I kind of clever. Jane would pick up a gun and shoot people too, so that there was that. Yeah, and she was she was like a good shot, which I thought was awesome. You know, sure she can pick up a gun, but like uh, I think it was established in the 1932 film that she was actually a good shot, knew what the hell she was doing, and I thought that was pretty cool too. You know, because a lot of times women are portrayed like you know they're just accessories. They were treated like accessories without a brain you know, without any skills. So whenever a woman had a skill where, oh, wow, she could shoot a gun. Oh, you know, she can actually throw a, throw a fist in a fight. You know, oh, she can run a business. Like, it, that, those were always, like, made to be a big, huge deal because, you know, women weren't portrayed that way in the films. Well, the one time that I felt like they, they could have done it a little bit more subtly or mm-hmm. um, it would have made a little more sense it was definitely great, but she saves them all by creating a fire at one point. She, yeah. so she builds a fire, which is the most oh. primitive thing you can do, like make fire. But she makes this fire in seconds, you know. And I'm like, uh, point, of, point of note, she had already let everybody else die. Because um, I remember that scene. Like, everybody yeah, else she, is dead. That's her last true. ditch. Yeah. She waits She waits till the other guys are dead to bust out with the million dollar idea, right? Like could have helped but that's okay that's okay they still i i was a little mad because they still put her in the damsel in distress role at that part at the end they still fall back on the jane needs help from tarzan like that's like they just can't help themselves well it is tarzan's film it it is yeah it's not jane and her mate but i i felt up until that it was right like up until that end scene like there was a lot of study of interaction between the two and there was a lot of question of who actually had what power right like jane Mm -hmm. once the world kind of injected itself into the jungle jane was clearly in control of the world whereas tarzan was kind of relegated to the role like oh Mm -hmm. he's just the primitive man he's just in control of the elements but now that society's here the elements are less important right and jane is clearly mm-hmm. the master of social interaction yeah she was completely the liaison you know yeah and mm-hmm. and then at the end they made it fall back to kind of a damsel in distress trope i i liked how they built it up before that i liked mm-hmm. the i liked the lead up to it but um well let's talk about some connections here um Uh, I want to jump back to some of the things we talked about when we talked about the last film. And that is um, one uh, as a follow-up, your big beef was about the pants. (laughs) That does happen in the book where he, in his little English brain, he wants clothes. Um, But, but it's not quite as weird as it seems in the movie because he goes through an identity crisis, and this happens in a lot of the Tarzan films, where he doesn't really know what he is. He knows he's not an ape, and he sees pictures of humans in these books and knows that they wear clothes. And uh, you do know what 
what Tarzan means, right? No. Tarzan, supposedly in their language, in the ape language, whatever it is, means white skin or pale skin, something like that. And the whole, there is a big deal in the ape tribe about how he's hairless like a snake and sort of, you know, they find it kind of repulsive. They don't, it's not said in exactly those words. So he has grown up thinking he's this repulsive thing until he sees that you can cover it with clothes. And so there's a little bit of that element to it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Which doesn't, which is way too subtle of psychology to get into in movies, especially in this time period. Uh, Did I I already talk about how they're not gorillas? Oh, the, now. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I had always assumed that he was raised by gorillas and he's not. It's called Tarzan of the Apes for a reason. He was raised by apes and it specifically mentions that they aren't gorillas. In fact, gorillas are their enemies. It never says exactly what their species is or anything like that, but they are smaller than gorillas, larger than chimps. They're more intelligent like chimps, but have more strength like gorillas. So they're kind of this in-between. There was no such thing till such thing was discovered. After he wrote the book, there was a species of ape discovered that was, in fact, smart like chimps, larger like gorillas. You know when that species was discovered? No. Remains were found in the 90s. The species was discovered in like 2003 or 2004. Okay. (laughs) Which is kind of crazy, right? That's funny. But one of the reasons I wanted to go back to the original thing was the ivory So do you think this film did a little better with portraying the elephant graveyard as not necessarily something that should be plundered? So can I, can I answer that in kind of a roundabout like way? Can I speculate? Can I, can I, can I pitch my idea for a movie to you? Go for Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I want to hear this. This dystopic sci-fi novel in a collapsed America, or this this treatment, I'm sorry, screenplay, where white people in this Mad Maxi feral America have to lead wealthy Nigerian software magnates to <laughs> the legendary resting place of the Liberty Bell so that they can retrieve it and take it back to Africa as a trophy that's it that's like the whole thing i got with this was like this is fucking terrible and the most the most compelling part to me is the story of the people who aren't fucking talking right like Mm -hmm. all of the african who all of the people in the film who know of the elephant graveyard they've revered it it's part of their you know mythos it's part of their belief system they're like none of them are speaking None of them are, like, carrying the role of this. And that burnt me. That You know what I mean? Like, they were telling this from, obviously, the European standpoint. The, ah, accumulate wealth and take it home to England. So, I thought that, and I could be wrong, it's been a little while since I watched it. You've seen it more recently, or you guys have seen it more recently, I think. But um, the impression I got, the story they were trying to tell whether you buy this or not is another story, but what they, I thought they were trying to sell was that there were two tribes, at least two tribes, one, which was the 
the ones that were acting as ser servants and guides to the wanderers, the colonials, and the other more hostile tribe that actually revered the elephant graveyard. And that was the difference. And that was the source of the conflict between the two. I don't, yeah, and they don't go into the motivations of any of that because none of them ever talk, right? Like, they don't tell that story. And I find that the far more compelling story. I I could easily envision a sci-fi film where I've got two bands of Americans shooting each other. One of them is trying to get the wealthy foreigners to the Liberty Bell, and the other is trying to defend the Liberty Bell. Like, that's an interesting story to me. But the white people just trying to impose into and out of with wealth it, it was simple like it was simplistic right Tarzan was definitely against it he he thought it was like rob grave robbing yeah, yeah. so that that was you know that was i think that it made a step that in just two years they made a step forward on that front yeah, I, I agree on that, too. I, I could see where Tarzan thought it was grave robbing, and at first Jane thought it was no big deal, and then let everybody, you know, and, and, and you know, like, first said yes, thought it was no big deal, and then she conferred, you know, I can't remember, I think she did talk to Tarzan, and then she came back, and she was like, it's like robbing a graveyard, you know, it's just not right, and da-da-da, and then, I, you know, and then somehow she still agreed to do it, and still agreed to lead him down there, and then they all died. Sometimes I, I just kind of think, like, you know, maybe Tarzan kind of had it planned out, like, maybe he had this whole thing kind of planned out, like, we're going to get there, and we're going to ambush these people and get rid of them, because, I, you know, I'm trying to protect my elephant friends here, and this is their graveyard, you know what I mean, and then boom look what happened and then jane's like creating a fire ring around herself and everybody else is gone <laughs> and she's left you know yeah. <laughs> but it seemed like a slightly more woke film like the yeah the, the guy's like the way they found it he like shot an elephant and like fought like headed okay. and we just followed the the dying elephant you know like, that is the biggest dick move I can think of, you know? I know. And so this guy's like, fuck it, I'm going to shoot another elephant. Well, that's nice. There are several points in the film where they're still doing the same screen projection as the last film, right? I'm pretty sure they were shooting lions to get that projection material. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure one of them is them throwing a spear at a charging lion. The, the elephant? I don't know. I think the elephant might have been trained. The other animals were unwilling participants in this, and it creeped me out a little. I get it. Yeah, same it, here. It, there, there were some parts of it that were definitely hard for me to watch. Also, I'm pretty sure that they dressed a pig up as a rhinoceros, and they had a guy ride it, and that was kind of awesome, actually. That, <laughs> that I'm all for. Um, yeah. Judged as an action film, I mean, here, here's how I rate the scene, the, the like, fights basically, because that's what you get in an action film, the fights. Yeah. Obviously, the fights between the humans, the, the natives, like, that was the best action in the movie, I thought. You know, that was one where I was like, oh, wow. The, for a minute there, I was like, okay, they really are going to get overwhelmed here. Then, next level down, Tarzan versus the lion and Tarzan versus the rhino. And then the one that's pretty much a failure for me was the fight with the croc. <laughs> I, 
I have notes on that. Which <laughs> <laughs> is like spinning, like they made this I, croc and just... I think they got a stuffed crocodile and attached it to some kind of like power takeoff on a tractor or something and just had it spin at 60 RPM. No, no, it was beautiful. Uh, but you are missing, you are missing in your list. The two most important fight scenes in the movie, not rated. And that's Cheetah versus the Rhino and mm. Cheetah's baby versus the Rhino. And let's face it, the only, the only character in this film that gets away without some kind of like, the only one that didn't do anything wrong is Cheetah's baby. Like that's mm-hmm. it. And when Cheetah's baby escaped the Rhino, I was so damned happy. That was, yeah. I think we all were. <laughs> Did you guys notice how Jane was riding the elephant going into the graveyard? Mm-mm. How she was like riding, kind of laying on the trunk to the side, like in a sexy way. Like, <laughs> I was like, that's absurd. <laughs> I think that they were trying to do it like horses. Like, so if you watch yeah. any Western from the period, men ride it Western style. Yeah, and then women ride side saddle. Women sli- right. ride side saddle. And they're like, how are we going to do side saddle on an elephant? <laughs> and so It's like the elephant's going to carry her like she's laying sideways in a weird hammock. And it's going to be totally awkward. And she's going to need a chiropractor when it's Hold done. On. Now I'm envisioning <laughs> the director and the animal handler screaming at each other. Like, there's just, this was a big fight before they figured out how to do that, right? Like, You're now like, you can't just have her on the back. She has to look sexy. <laughs> look sexier. It, it, it definitely has a pin-up look to it. It's like you want, like... Oh, totally. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, can we talk about the fact that Girlfriend had her own yell? Loved it. Right right off the bat, as soon as the film started, yep. she, she had her little, her, her uh, Jane yell, and I was loving that. I thought that was amazing, and that came in handy a few times for her and the people that she was with. I don't think the yell exists in the book. I haven't come across mm-hmm. it yet, um, nor has it existed in the movies, the Tarzan movies prior to the 32. I think Weissmuller came up with it and it's brilliant because yeah. it's a way he doesn't, again, doesn't have to be a Shakespearean actor, but it makes sense for the character, you know, a way mm-hmm. to communicate, um, you know, that animals would understand, you know? <laughs> Right. And the way Tarzan would understand too, like, Hey, we need help over here. Here's my yell. Come hither. <laughs> yeah. The, when the Hayes code did come in after this, we're not going to see this kind of stuff for a long time. It specifically mentions uh, nudity, even in silhouette. And I think they threw that mm-hmm. in specifically for the changing scene in the mm-hmm. tent where she's changing and backlit, um, which is another right brilliant scene i mean that that was a very sexy scene um and uh but also i wanted to mention that it's amazing this film actually got made because uh, aside from all the code issues that would come up late you know in a later era this was a very troubled production it had multiple directors fired it was recast almost every part was recast at one point or another uh except of course you know, they knew they were going to use Weissmuller. Um, Maureen O'Sullivan had surgery on her appendix during this. So wow, she had her appendix out. And then this is really ironic. We've talked about how, how, how racist the Tarzan films are. The Nazis banned this film for being <laughs> racist. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> but not the racist you're thinking. They didn't like a white person portrayed in a jungle sort of environment. Um, mm -hmm. They thought it was degrading to white people or something like that. Wow. So, yeah, it cuts both ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could definitely tell it was pre-code uh, pre because, um, like, the first, one of the first scenes, there are plenty of topless women, you know, tribes women, uh, throughout the scene. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, wow, I didn't know you could do that then. All right, okay so then. <laughs> the first thing I noticed, like, the first, like, eyebrow raise I had during the film was when they meet the other guy. Um, not... Harry, who had been there, but his business partner was getting off the, the boat, mm -hmm. brought all the stuff. He catches him and he says, oh, you know, hey, is that a bruise? You know, is that your cabin? And then this couple come from the cabin. Did that dude just have a three way on his boat to Africa? Was that am I understand? Am I catching what they were supposed to be throwing out? Like, was that I to push over my head. I was right. under the impression that he was having an affair with that woman and that guy was Correct. clueless. I would have thought that had they not all three emerged from the same room within seconds of each other. Like, yeah, they all came out the door within 13, 15 seconds of one another. That is kind of provocative. And I never even, I never even put two and two together like that. Wow. And I should have really, I mean, well, there was innuendo <laughs> about other parts of this where like, um, well, first of all, one of the things about the Hayes Code is they had to be in separate beds and stuff like that. They had to be mm -hmm. married, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Married and in separate beds. And this mm -hmm. film, they specifically, like, they were saying, no, they're not. You know, they're living in sin in the jungle, having... Mm -hmm. uh, ha, ha there's no bed. Loophole. Right there. <laughs> And but then later later she does call Tarzan her husband and she and she calls herself his his wife, you know which and which hardcore Christians still wouldn't accept that. Yeah, at that time I think it wasn't considered marriage unless you were married in a church, you know, right. by a like <laughs> exactly. But we're tribe married. We're tribe married. <laughs> tribe. There was no such thing as tribe married. You know? <laughs> we're jungle married. <laughs> None of that pagan, uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. I had a hand fasting. It just wasn't filmed. <laughs> you know, it, it was an interesting film. Um, there were a lot of things in there that were provocative and unexpected. And, you know, now knowing that, like, the they started having, uh, you know, the codes afterwards, the Hayes Code afterwards, that, that makes a lot of sense to me why, um, you know, there were so many things that you just don't see in old films like nudity and innuendo and a couple sleeping in the bed that may or may not be married, you know, together. There were some things in there that, that were disturbing, like the guy who brought all of the stuff, he tried to seduce Jane too. And she's like, um, no, dude, I'm with Tarzan, you know, and then Tarzan, Tarzan, like picked up on it quickly and swooped her away. <laughs> <laughs> dress and uh, all there know. was the one scene where he is obviously trying to seduce her and he kisses mm -hmm. her and tarzan drops out of the tree with his knife ready to kill 
Mm-hmm. And then it turns out he stocks up on the record player. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, right. yeah, <laughs> I've laughed so hard at that. Like, it no, it literally, they surprised me. <laughs> you uh, got uh, distracted. Like, an, an 80-year-old film surprised me, is what I'm saying. Yeah. They did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a fun scene. <laughs> I'd say this was overall a fun movie. I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. We do have to, like, forgive it a certain amount from, you know, the time yep. it was made. But certainly compared to the other Tarzan films we've seen, it's uh, way better. This is the first one that we have watched that I want people to see. This is the first one that I will actually advocate for. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, God, if you guys only pay the two bucks, rent it on Amazon. If you only watch the underwater swimming scenes and realize (laughs) Hollywood won't be able to do that again for like, I haven't seen that. Qual- Actually, no, I take that back. Uh, the next time you see something like that that I can think of in my memory, 300. Mm-hmm. They used underwater photography, nude photography in 300 to really good effect. But that's like 70, 80 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. If you do decide to watch this film, for anyone that hasn't seen it, uh, if you decide to watch it, there are a number of edited versions out there um there are uh, they actually shot different versions of the swimming scene um so there are more clothes more and less clothed versions of the swimming scene there's also ones where that's been cut out entirely so um it's important to look for the the full version and what was the running time on that uh i want to say 104 minutes on the amazon version there are other cuts, like in the 1950s, they made cuts that were closer to an hour and a half. I would definitely look for a version that's over 100 minutes long. Look forward to seeing how Tarzan evolves in future decades. I'm not looking forward to seeing how Tarzan evolves in future decades. I am <laughs> dreading how Tarzan evolves in future decades. I- I'm along for the ride. <laughs> And thank you for having me, by the way. I, I want to make that clear before we go. Thank you so much for thinking of me and, and you know, deciding to have me on here. It's been a lot of fun. No, definitely. We'd love to have you back. Awesome. I would love to be back. You just let me know. All right. Take care. And check out Black and Bluegrass Roller Girls on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, any other social media outlet. We're, we're there, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Black and Bluegrass Roller Girls. We're trying to have a season. Our first half has already been canceled, but hopefully um, the second half will still be in play. And uh, you can check out all the information um, if you go to nkyrollerderby.com. How, how, would, how would COVID masks not make roller derby more awesome? How would that not make it more Mad Maxi, right? Like I... I agree. I haven't skated in a mask yet, but we'll see how that goes because we're um, actually getting ready to prep our practice space to go back to practice. So hopefully we can still have at least our September, October, and November games, but we'll see what happens. Let us know. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, that about wraps it up. I wanted to remind everyone to like and subscribe. If you have anything, feedback on the show, definitely email us at gc8 that's the letter g the letter c the number eight podcast all one word gc8 podcast at gmail.com this is the first film where i'm i was a little blown away 
buy parts of it. It's worth the two bucks just to just, just to jump in and experience it. I agree. I believe it is available both on in the iTunes store and on Amazon. It's definitely worth a watch. All right. And until next time, this is Eric. This is Nat. Take care.